Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We know of new methods of attack. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast. This is your uh, almost weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle, the people that make it and occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster of Freethink. I've got you stuck off the realness. We be the infamous. You heard of us. Official Queensbridge murderous. This is episode 62. Is that a Mob Deep reference? Recorded on the evening of June 21st, 2017. Yes, it is. Okay. The voice that you hear is Michael Moynihan, who's also a voice on Vice News tonight on HBO or whatever the hell it's called. Whatever. Whatever. Also joined by Matt Welch, editor-at-large of Reason Magazine. Gentlemen, it is wonderful to be with you today. Rest in peace, prodigy of Mod Deep. Prodigy of Mod Deep. Very sad. Very sad. How did he die, by the way? I don't know. It was in Vegas, so... It was in Vegas? I think so. Really? Yeah. Because he was, he was like in his late 40s, right? Well, according to Tupac, mm-hmm. when the song hit him up, yeah. one of those guys has sickle cell or something. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that is, was, uh, yeah, he was also true. a reporter. Did yeah. you see Tupac. that uh, <laughs> Trump gave a shout out to Tupac's mom? Did he? Really? Uh, I mean, uh, Asada Shakur is his. No, no, no. no he's, uh, oh, sorry. It's, it's, I screwed uh, it up. Uh, Delete it. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's they're not, fine. We'll they're not all related, man. Yeah, we'll just uh, <laughs> all the people I'll named see. Shakur. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah uh, Joanne Chesimard yeah. is her actual mm-hmm. name. I think it's his aunt. Yes, uh, okay. aunt. Yeah. Yeah. Aunt. yeah, his auntie. Yeah, his auntie. He is dead, Tupac. And he, if you guys out there are not uh, fans of, uh, well, yeah, not the conspiracy <laughs> theorists. If you're not fans of paying attention to what's happening in pop culture, but Joanne Chesimard, his aunt, is very much alive, living in Cuba. As far as we know, she's alive, but the Cuban government has been hiding her on uh, murder charges for a number of years. So there you go. Huh. Look it up. Fun facts that you'll learn yeah. listening to the Fifth Column podcast. So Camille, how's uh, bed treating you? Bed-Stuy is, uh, <laughs> Bed-Stuy is, is interesting. Yeah. Um, it's, it's beautiful. It is a, a place of, of contradictions. Uh, there are nice, polite people who say hello to me. Mm-hmm. Um, there is the man who is entering the yard of the house in which I am staying for no reason, as I'm coming out of the building, um, who sees me, doesn't really stop his forward progress, perhaps is measuring me up and, and wondering whether or not he can still enter the yard that he totally does not live in. Like, he doesn't live in this house, but we do. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm leaving. He's coming in. I say hello. He doesn't say anything. Still kind of coming in, then sees my dog and turns and walks away. Camille's dog um, is the size of a small country. He's 80, yeah. he's 80, he's 80 yeah. pounds, but he's a, uh, he's it's a like the Andorra of yeah. animals. He's a, he's like a small, <laughs> small independent country. This scares me. <laughs> but he's, he's a pansy, but, but you he does followed scare the guy. People. I did follow him because I'm Batman and, uh, I, I feel yes. as though I have to patrol the streets and keep people safe and pursue justice. You're like the Curtis Sliwa. Yeah. Of, uh, does anyone, do you remember Curtis yeah, Sliwa? Yeah. Are they, uh, the, uh, um, no, no. At Guardian Angels. Oh, is that right? Yeah, he was. Yeah, the, yeah, he was yeah. The, okay, yeah. yes. Doesn't yeah. he actually like do a a radio show with Cat Temp? Am I like? Uh, oh, he's been doing radio for ages. Yeah, he used, he used to do a radio show uh, alongside Ron Kuby, who was the uh, ponytailed left wing lawyer. Oh, and, oh uh, right. And they did a show together. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he was like the right wing avenging angel. Well, I mean, <laughs> I didn't avenge anything. I just kind of watched this this goober for a little bit, followed him, and then I lost track of him behind me. Which again, it's nighttime. Ten behind o'clock. you. I'm outside. Yeah, I passed him, and I I go back and look for him and find him trying to get into another person's yard. And when he sees me, he breaks out. So 
That Did was you call weird. the police? That was strange. No. Do you know how stop often, that, stop snitching? What do you, what do you, do you know how often that happens in my <laughs> what do you say? You know? Come There's on, Camille, strange, start snitching. There's a strange man trying to enter people's yards. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, what you say. Yeah, no. He's not nearly as mad about that as he is Shit. about coming over here and having someone step on his Yeezys. Well, this yeah. is he's still he's still fuming. If you can the, see him yeah. out there, there's like smoke come out of his no, nose. It's the, yeah. it's the MTA. I mean, I, I rode the train up here. The trains have not been acting right this week. I'm commuting from this week into Manhattan. Well, for me, someone who just started using the train. Well, I used to have an eight minute. Brooklyn. I had an eight minute commute door to door from my building to my office, including elevator rides. And now I have to ride the train from friggin' bed to downtown Manhattan. Did you guys see this? Did you see this cover the New York Post today? No. What is that? For F's sake, <laughs> F train. For F's sake, fix the subways. And that's that's like a classic. We don't get the the um, you know the the tabloidy sharp elbowed yeah. outer borough stuff that you used to. Like the tabloids were always the New York Times didn't know anything about New York. Mm-hmm. This was like why the New York Sun was started actually. And it was like we put New York on page one because they'd have these people coming from journalism school didn't know anything about New York. Yeah, and it was the tabloids that were just like New York centered, and they would be like always. You know, like, uh, you know, the feds to uh, Ford, Ford to New York dropped dead. Do you remember that? It was a New York Daily News headline. And you used to always have these gripes on the covers. It was great. You go on on the newsstand and you'd see both the Post and the Daily News and Newsday. Uh, which is the basically the Long Island paper, and they were always complaining about how shitty the city was. That was like the seventies, eighties, and it's but we're re shittying. Yeah, subway, subway. You wake up in the morning. I don't know. What, yeah. I, so we listen to uh, what uh, we listen to the the local NPR, the commies as we call them in our house. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> and the uh, even before they get to the impeachments and the uh, Russia Trump and Adam Schiff, you know, monologues. Um, it's like subway delays today on the A. B, C, D, E, really on the F, and G trains because of signal switching. Every fucking day. Always the signal switching. What does even even that mean? It's like like the fakest thing in the world. It's a fake thing. It's annual maintenance that they're supposed to do, but just haven't, right? And this is uh, apparently Governor Cuomo's fault more than even Bill de Blasio's fault, because for some reason, whatever, it's New York governance. Although the governor places the blame with the They haven't done the maintenance, and because of it, it's just breaking down. So. The, the, the thing that bothers me about this, and then we'll get onto some real subjects. This is sort of New York centric. Actually, is this is this is actually more universal. This part is that if you look at how much money people that work for the MTA make, it's like the number of people that make over six figures is I can't remember what percentages, but it's it's rather large. When I moved to New York in two thousand two thousand one. Uh, they had just gotten rid of the tokens and they got the, the swipe cards. They had the, the Metro, the Metro cards and the month Metro pass was 40 bucks. I think it was 40 bucks, 42 bucks, something like that. And it, it is now month, what month Metro pass. that lets you ride on. Is it right? Unlimited, yeah. uh, you know, subway rises, 40, 40, 42 bucks, something like that. Um, going from memory, but I'm pretty sure it was. And now it's like, what, a hundred and something, 120, 116, something crazy. So it's, it's like in such a short period of time, it has tripled. The subway service has gotten crappier. We are the only like major industrialized city on earth that doesn't have countdown clock clocks. Some of them do only numbered trains and the L train. And then it's like, it's a third world kind of system, but you pay more and more and more and more for it. And then you look at the amount of money that the unions are squeezing out of um, the city for it. And it's it's insane. But it's I can make more money like pushing a button it did, on the fucking G train than I did make what I'm doing now. It did give rise to doing the a single, free fucking podcast like a moron. The <laughs> single best uh, tweet I've seen in months 
which is uh, so Rivers Cuomo, the lead uh, singer songwriter, guitar player of uh, Weezer, Weezer yeah. um, who I follow on Twitter, obviously, uh, and uh, actually friend of friends. I've met him before a few times. Um, he did a tweet, and this is not the best tweet. Uh, it just said uh, Bush did 9-11, <laughs> which is kind of funny, uh, funny. To, to do at this point. But the first response was from someone saying, uh, yeah, thanks for that. Uh, uh, but uh, thanks for that. But could you finally fix the subways? <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's really funny. Oh, America. Oh, New York. That explains so much. What an expensive dump well, you've become. It yeah. was so awful that I, I exited the train at 42nd to walk up to 50 where the studio is. And I am sort of careening between tourists who have forgotten why it makes sense to walk anywhere with deliberate speed and purpose. Mm -hmm. They've forgotten that it is important to perhaps look in the direction that you are walking. Um, and I remind them with sharp elbows to their damn sternums yeah. uh, because I'm polite. Yeah. kind and where I, I need to go is more important. So I'm, I'm glad you're go. creating racists in Bulgaria. <laughs> Does that make them racist? They can't uh, they're remember. They're Bulgarians, of course. They're they're like, just, I don't they, mean men no, in Camille's hitting out. me with elbows and very expensive shoes. I, I'm, I'm that saying he clearly this, stole from the stars. <laughs> this is a public <laughs> hi, service hi, announcement. Hi. I don't know This why. is a public service Is that a Bulgarian accent? That was a, yeah. that was a Bulgarian Cosby. I don't know. It was like Balky. It was a perfect stranger's reference. Look at that. What are we ever having a Bronson Pinscher? Oh my god! Should we do some like real shit now? Yeah, maybe I we should. Don't know. There, there are know. important maybe. things happening in the world yeah, today. Kinda, uh, there, kinda. there are um, some some cases that are going on uh, in which the, the what are you Encyclopedia Brown? <laughs> well, got some yeah, cases. some cases Crack like caper as in legal <laughs> legal cases. There are people who have been killed by governments. Oh yeah, one of yeah. whom is Philando Castile here in the yeah. United States. Yeah. That that case has come to a conclusion that has left yeah. many people feeling quite angsty. Sure. Uh, Otto Warmbier, the 22-year-old yeah. uh, student who left for North Korea in January of last year, um, came back last week in yeah. a coma and yeah. died this week. That that perhaps warrants Crazy some discussion. Story. Crazy. Story. Um, there are increasing hostilities between the United States and Russia, but we're probably not going to talk about that. We do a lot of because Russia. Why? I think we, should we do? We're going to do like it's kind of a. I don't know. Kind of a. We're going to get off Russia yeah. for a day. Maybe. But there's some White know, House we'll press see. secretary things oh, going on, up. and maybe the White House press briefings are going away, and maybe that doesn't matter at all. But Importantly, last week, Moynihan, mm -hmm. there was something that you did about Evergreen <laughs> yeah. that was fantastic and phenomenal. Thank you. And kind of terrifying. As someone who like yeah. talks about sure. race stuff mm -hmm. uh, in, in many different contexts and often tries to point out this way that we uh, talk about race and relate to race and um, encourage kids to latch on to tribal fetishism. Um, I've, I've often believed that that's a bad thing and it could end up in bad ways. Yeah. I've never imagined it actually looking like this insanity that you faced Nor on this campus. I. Nor so did I. I, I, I perhaps yeah, slowed well, you up a little bit. Uh, yeah, no, tell, it's, tell the it, good people well, what the hell I, is I going mean, on. We, I think we talked about Evergreen a little bit and it was just the latest example, but it's, it's probably one of the crazier examples uh, recently of what's going on on campus. And essentially what they do every year and have done is something called the Day of Absence, which is based on a 1965 play about a town in the South in which the black residents of the town don't show up one day. And it demonstrates the people of the town, how important they are. And so they've been doing that on Evergreen's campus since I think 1975. And, um, you know, it's been just happened with, without incident. And this is in Olympia, Washington. Olympia, Washington. And by the way, it's a state school. 
I mean, it is a notorious kind of lefty. They had Mumia Abu-Jamal as their uh, commencement speaker in 1999. Uh, He wasn't there, obviously, because he's on death row for killing a cop, so they just had an audio cassette. Um, Maybe a DAT recording of him. (laughs) I don't know. But um, so, you know, it has a reputation of being a bit loopy and, you know, whatever. So, you know, they do this day of absence. And this year, a professor who, uh, this is the, the constraints of television. I mean, you know, it was a seven minute piece and um, I, I could have done 25, I could have done 30 and I had enough footage for it and I had enough to talk about. And one of the people that we didn't get into is um, a professor there who's who decided, was one of the professors, decided that this year the day of absence, absence would be different and that white students would be asked to leave campus voluntarily, quote unquote voluntarily. And um, this, you know, it would be a safe space on campus for black students. And a professor objected to this, Professor uh, Brett Weinstein, who's an evolutionary biologist, a very, very smart guy, uh, Bernie supporter, uh, refers to himself as, I I can't remember what it was, aggressively progressive or something like that. Uh, Profoundly progressive, I think. And uh, he wrote an email and said, no, I don't, I don't agree with this. Um, It's a very, very different thing when you're saying someone can't be in a space. Uh, rather than people voluntarily leaving it. So and, it's part, and part of his argument was that um, by uh, vacating, it seems like I'm not an ally of people who have these goals of fighting racism almost, when I feel like I am. Almost. That's the part about it being voluntary, that if you were on campus, that's what they said is voluntary, they would say you're not an ally if you actually showed up on campus that day. So the, it being voluntarily wasn't really voluntary. And there was a story of, um, and I confirmed this with the professor actually, a different professor who misunderstood the diktat from one of uh, the people organizing it and showed up on campus, white professor with students who are also white, because uh, it's evergreen and there's a lot of white people there. Um, you know, Washington State is 4% black. So, you know, so they, they, they show up there and uh, the reception just to put it mildly, was not uh, friendly. There was kind of like, what are you doing here? And you will be kind of ritually denounced as not an ally for being here. So against this backdrop, and Brett had also, you know, argued against some so-called equity proposals that would change the hiring procedures for professors and putting a lot more stress on identity than on scholarship and things like that. And so he was, he was, he was, he was uh, targeted, I think. And he wrote a very benign email. And then this video uh, that we've all, a lot of people have seen of him being kind of ambushed um, by students who invaded his class and called him a racist. And he says, it's a very, it's a very kind of Marxist thing, by the way, when he says, um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to debate you. I want to engage in dialectic. I want to engage in dialectic, (laughs) which is, you know, I'm trying to get to the truth through dialectic. And, and he says, do you want to hear my, 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 and they scream, no, and shout him down. Fuck you, Brett. You know, you said some racist shit. Apologize for this racist shit you said. And he said, I didn't say anything racist, but there's no defense against that. So, um, all of that happened and it became a big cause celeb. So I went there to do a bunch of the story. There's a lot of wrinkles to it, but that's the broad strokes. And one of the more, more interesting things, I talked to some students and it was rather shocking to, to talk to these students who really loathe uh, free speech. And you can't, in doing a story like this, in, inject false balance. You know, I'm a journalist and, you know, if someone's telling me that free speech uh, is harmful... And if um, your presence, I had people trying, a couple of people uh, trying to break up uh, an interview. Uh, one was after the fact; it wasn't really trying to break it up, but came after and said, "Who did you talk to today? We want to know." Students, uh, like an inquisition, like you know, and then and then said, 
I looked up Vice Online, you're owned by Fox News. And I said, we're not owned by Fox News. And the girl was like, oh, I saw it online. It was like the most insane, you know, insipid conversation. But the most revealing bit was with the uh, president of the university. Mm. This kind of supine loser named um, uh, George Bridges. And look, I'm going to be, you know, frank about it. I have my opinions. Um, but he's the one in every video being shouted down by students. And like, what do you want? I'll give you. It's like, he's the guy handing you the wallet before you take out the gun. Like, just don't even, don't even bother. I'm going to give you what you want. And there's one moment in which um, I was told about in which he was there taking over his, <laughs> his oh, office. I've got the audio oh, you do. Yeah. So I'll cue it up. And he's taking, taking over his office and they won't let him go to the bathroom. Watch that door, watch all the doors, watch the windows, you need to keep eyes on them. And somebody needs to go in that room real quick to make sure that there's no way to get that room for them. I mean, essentially sounded like you're being held hostage there. Um, oh. If you were going to go to the bathroom, you had to go with two escorts? Oh, Is that, that true? Um, that's what the students felt was true. I was going to go to the what bathroom. Mean, no. the students well, that's bathroom. what they said. If you want to go to the bathroom, I was going to go to the bathroom regardless, and they wanted to escort me. I felt Why? very safe there. Why what? Why did they want to escort you to the bathroom? I don't know. Did you ask them? No, of course not. <laughs> oh my so God. that's that's a cut. I mean, you have to cut for time. I the just, next the next question was, uh, what, I was what do you mean? Of course not. <laughs> this goes on for a while. I mean, I should probably put up the whole. Audio. There's uh, uh, just to interject there. I've I've watched this many times I've, as I was uh, telling you off camera. This I posted it uh, up uh, the because you guys put it on YouTube. I posted a reason. It's the highest traffic post I've put at reason in a year and change. I, I didn't notice until just there. Well, he's talking while you're talking, and he and he was saying I felt very safe there. Yes. Yeah. 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 What yeah. the fuck yeah. was he talking so, about? So here's I felt very safe there, being escorted into the bathroom with two students. I don't feel safe. Yeah. Being escorted by well, a couple of crazy losers. The whole language is about safety. So one of the most interesting things is that when Brett um, is being besieged by these students, um, I talked to faculty members, uh, George, uh, the president, other people, uh, the students who, who did this protest have actually said to, to me, you know, he was never blocked in. He could leave if he wanted. And you look at this as like, you know, if he leaves, this is not 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 going well. Uh, the police ended up showing up. He Brett says he didn't call them. Somebody else did. But there's a shouting and he's, and he's sort of backed into a corner here. And Brett talks about being backed into a corner. And so everyone has pointed this out, the students, et cetera. And I said to one of them, and I wish it could have made it into the cut, where I um, it was actually a professor who I said to, you know, you guys talk in this language of safety all the time. Mm. You have to feel safe. I don't feel safe on campus. I don't feel safe because of this. This language doesn't make me feel safe. This curriculum doesn't make me feel safe. This book doesn't make me feel safe. But you're surrounding a professor, screaming at him, like profanity is flying everywhere, which for some reason, I thought about it a while, it just, I swear a lot, it just felt weird of these like young kids saying fuck you to this guy. Like literally saying fuck you. That was actually shouted at him. And his, they're like, well, he could just leave. And it's like the safety doesn't apply in the other direction. But the thing about, about the president, which I found pretty fascinating, was that if I had the, I, I, this is the thing that I would have loved to somehow revealed there. I, I had a 930 interview with him in the morning and they said, 20 minutes, get 20 minutes. And then they also said, this is the, the you know, PR person for the university or the media person or whoever this guy is, says, um, okay, well, if you can do it at 2.30, we'll give you a lot more time. I'm thinking like 45 minutes an hour or something. Um, and I said, oh God, okay, I gotta, that means I gotta take a red eye at like midnight and it's just brutal the next day and I gotta start editing this. 
So, all right, it's fine. It's worth it. If I can get this guy and just, you know, just give him a good grilling for, for, for 45. Look, I was fair to the guy. I wasn't mean to any of these people. I was fair to all of them, but I mean, they hang themselves in their own words. So I get there and about, he walks out on the interview after about 14, 15 minutes. He walks out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what it, what it actually happened was, uh, they had an out, I believe an outside PR firm that was like crisis management or something. And the woman was sitting there in the back, like a sort of shark clicking. Yeah. (laughs) I I was snapping. (laughs) Yeah. I guess I apparently clapping is too aggressive. I don't know what that was, but they do. It's so crazy. So, she said, we have to go in the middle of this, like 15 minutes and we have to go. And he doesn't push back. He just like takes his mic on and gets up. But there is like one shot that I wanted to use of just the A cam, which is just for, for, for the president. And it's just his mic hanging on the chair and me yelling at them as like on the way out. <laughs> Basically, said, like, I've been doing this a long time. I don't believe for a second that you have some uh, like other engagement and, and, you know, I don't, I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. And, you know, and I say, I mutter to myself, you know, I mutter myself, like, I hadn't even gotten to the hard stuff. I, I literally hadn't. And, and so that was just from that like 15 minute exchange. But the one final thing I'll say about it was, um, the, the terror of the administration of the students in the interview with him, everything he said, you could see him rolling his answer around in his head to see how the students would react. A student told me uh, that you're a white supremacist. Um, I'm assuming that students have said lots of things about me. I don't believe I am. I'm you a don't white believe person. you are, but you accept that you might be. No. Well, it depends on what you mean by a white supremacist. What does that mean? I'm a white person with a, in a position of privilege. Okay. And there's a longer exchange. The longer exchange is me saying, well, why can't you just say no? And I realize at that point that he's, uh, and he says, well, you know, I come with privilege, et cetera. He can't just say, no, that's crazy. And another one I said, he said, like, my technique is like uh, George Foreman and Muhammad Ali in uh, 1974. And I said, so a rope hmm. And he said, I wouldn't use that word. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not joking. And I was like, is it a rope or is it dope that he's objecting to? Maybe calling the students dopes. And I was like, but what else did they do? And then another one where I said, are, are you kind of wargaming you know, how you'll handle this stuff in the next, in the next um, academic year. And he said, I wouldn't use the phrase word. I mean, I mean, it's just like, it's crazy. Everyone's stumbling over the words. The, 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 it's crazy. It's really, really weird. It was, you, you sent this to uh, the two of us and our, and our friend uh, Kennedy, I believe, uh, by, uh, by text. And uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm someone who thinks that we all tend to exaggerate uh, or, you know, or maybe we're dwelling too much on the campus stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like seeing the 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 freedom with which like the 21 year old uh, pink haired uh, little uh, 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 gal was saying, oh, you know, he should be fired, of course, because he's a racist. Um, but then, you know, just like totally normal, uh, totally normal, making crazy accusations about people and let's like ruin their lives and just being super cheerful about it. And then the terror, like living through it, it was like watching show trials from Czechoslovakia in the 50s. It just was so people like wrapping our, their own brains around trying to deal with this. It, it was horrifying. It was it was as if like Camille's worries going to back how you set this up about the way that this is warping people's minds is a lot more true than I had thought. And I just found the whole thing. There's a lot of fear on campus about what you can say. And there's, I mean, Brett told me there's a lot of people that want to support him. And my follow-up question to him was, aren't they cowards? I mean, isn't this important on uh, an institution of learning, of higher learning, an academic uh, environment, a campus to actually stick up for your fellow professors and free inquiry? And then it, of course, became um, that 71 professors, and 
a third, I think a third or a quarter of the faculty signed a letter uh, recommending that Brett uh, be uh, investigated by the university. Jesus. Um, and, Jesus. and the argument that one of the professors I made said is because he went on Tucker Carlson's show on Fox News. And uh, so therefore in the student uh, faculty handbook, he was in violation of something. And I asked the guy a very pointed question. And I really, again, I wish I could have used this too. And I said, you know, shouldn't, if he had gone on to Democracy Now! or written a piece in The Nation, would you, would, this guy didn't sign the letter, but he said, I said, do you think that, you, that your colleagues would have objected? He said, absolutely not. And I said, well, don't you think you should codify in the student faculty handbook of what uh, outlets are, are uh, acceptable for faculty to go. And he started laughing like that's ridiculous. And I said, no, it's not ridiculous. Exactly what you said is that if you can't go on these outlets, because they say now they got threats on campus and, and Brett is responsible for them mm -hmm. because by going on Fox, he attracted the alt-right. Um, so it's a tortured logic. And, and you know, it was just a really bizarre experience that started off with me being yelled at for um, talking to a bunch of students and trying to be very nice to them and said, whatever it is you guys want to talk about and whatever it is you guys don't want to talk about, and there was a conclave in which somebody then raised their hand and said, could you please not use the phrase, you guys? Uh, we prefer y'all because uh, uh, you guys is gendered. And I realized I'm just in a different world. I just don't understand this world. So anyway, that way it was fun, though. And if you haven't watched it, I would appreciate it uh, if you did. Yeah, you should definitely watch it. It is, I mean, I think indicative of the world that uh, a lot of people actually find themselves living in, even, even beyond campus. Actually, this week, uh, I got a note from someone on the show uh, Facebook page uh, is listening to an episode of the show while someone in his office is berating him and telling him that he is a racist. And as the person uh -huh, explains yeah. it, who is sending me the note, he doesn't believe he's a racist, um, which is not unsurprising. Most people don't. Uh, but I also presume he's not one. And he, that what he asks me is how do you talk to someone that's a good question. Being that way, yeah. and I haven't actually sent him a response yet. It's been uh, about a day and a half, but I, because I had to think about it, I've, I've yeah. never really considered. Like, how do you respond to someone? How do you who respond to someone who is racist? yeah in in a sort of normal context, your professional life, right? Your maybe your next door neighbor is telling you that you are racist over and over again, asserting it for reasons that are completely beyond you. Uh, perhaps they are totally imaginary and everyone knows it, but this person, I don't know, but how do you have that conversation? Because you can't defend yourself against the charge. It's not about evidence. I think it's about one thing feelings. you do is you start with making the uh, Moynihan observation of, of that. Hey, you have just uh, accused me of the most toxic possible societal sin. Wow. Wow. Just like white people. You gonna make this about me? Not about what y'all do? Not about what y'all do? Not about what you're doing to me right now? Um, I, 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 was, I, was, I would suggest the way of doing it is not addressing it as an argument because it's not an argument. I mean, this is presuming this guy doesn't has nothing to that. He didn't do anything because I see it a lot. I presume it's, you know, there are people that are racist out there. You call them out. But if it's a case where, you know, you're 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 not that. I always respond to people by talking about the charge itself. Mm -hmm. And it always reminds me of like one of those old computer games when you get, you find a certain thing in the computer game. And if you hit the button after you get it, it blows up everybody on screen. That's essentially what it is. <laughs> because if you, if you are backed into a corner again in an argument and this would seem relevant, even times when it's not relevant, like auto warm beer, which we'll talk about, um, that it's just, it's just the blow up and everybody on the screen yeah. kind of thing. And there, you know, you're doing this without marshalling any evidence because you're talking about a feeling, a hunch, especially now, because so many times now it's not about, I saw you listening to David Duke's podcast. If you, if you're listening to David, you're fucking racist. That's period. End of story. 
I don't, I mean, unless you're doing research on David Duke, you're a fucking racist, right? Straightforward. But so many of these things aren't straightforward. And by the way, the, the, the fact that if, when, when people respond to that, they say, oh, well, it's sort of gone underground now. Things have had, isn't, can we not acknowledge an enormous amount of progress then if something does have to go underground? If it isn't something that we can just, you know, listen to in public, read a racist magazine, whatever it might be, just say racist things. If it is something that is codified in this weird way and it is between between the lines, you kind of have to try to decipher it. And that's what a lot of this stuff is. Then in the larger sense, it I think that's an enormous amount of progress in America, that this stuff is no longer culturally acceptable. And I think that's a good thing. But the problem with that is when you make that argument, you basically weaponize it in a way that you can make it against anyone, you know, an enemy. That's why sexual harassment charges, people just want them to go away. It's better not to engage with it because it's, it's too slippery. You can't yeah. actually... You know, because it's it's a it's a feeling. It's an idea. This guy said something to me, and I think it you know it was it made me feel uncomfortable. It's hard to you know argue against these things. My, so the best thing to my, do is interrogate it as an argument. Yeah, my my inclination um, is uh, were I not protected by by melanin and in conversations like this, where it at least gives me the ability to say things without people coming back to, well, you're racist, and that's that's why it's easy for you to see it. Instead, they make accusations about the friends that I'm likely to have who must all be white, something along those lines, um, or otherwise impugn my blackness. Um, I would probably say that you want to operate from a place of just extraordinary grace. Like, okay, I'm going to give this guy a little bit of rope here. Calm down. What's the problem? Mm. What is it? If you start there, like, we can't get any place. Mm. What exactly is wrong? What happened? You're concerned about the number of hours you're working. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, well, let's have that conversation. I want to, I want to understand your point of view here. Great. Mm. Maybe mm. this is something we can resolve. The goal is to be respectful, not to concede in my estimation, anything uh, about the charge of racism. And at some point you may be able to have a conversation about that, but quite frankly, the, the knee jerk um, instinctual way that people uh, who engage in that kind of behavior uh, go to racism as an explanation for the the bad things that are happening to them uh, and around them, um, whether or not uh, it seems defensible. Like, I don't know that you're going to be able to to get into a rational exchange they where can, you can. They just, uh, it also it all depends that. on what you did. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> That's me. That too. Uh, he's a fifth column listener. So he's probably oh, you, you, guy. You, you called me a what? Yeah. <laughs> Think of, uh, so we're recording this on Wednesday night, Tuesday, last night, there was a special election in Georgia, which we weren't really planning to talk about, but uh, it, it, where the Democrat, um, underperformed expectations, the most expensive uh, uh, house election, I think, in history. In history. Or, uh-huh. or yeah. close by, to by, by a factor of like uh, quite a bit. <laughs> didn't Michael Huffington, I mean, did he break the Michael Huffington record? From by, like a, by a lot. Uh, yeah. yeah. So anyways, uh, there, have there been many complaints of uh, for the need for campaign finance reform in response to that? Ossoff himself yeah. mentioned it. Yeah. He's like, yeah, you know, we really should do some campaign finance reform now that I've just blown, you yeah. know, as he's as he's throwing cash in the strip club. Because, well, there was like 300 donations uh, uh, from I can't remember the number, but it was something like 300 donations from his district. And there were like 10 or 20 times the number of donations from the San Francisco Bay Area alone. Oh, shocking. So, yeah, I mean, I don't yeah. That's fine by me. But do have right. you watched the circular firing squad among Democrats and the left after this and how much of it is encased in that kind of tribal identity politics stuff? So you have like 
people hissing about Clinton bros. Like Osof is a Clinton yeah. bro and that's the problem. Oh, you just had another white guy and you thought you could win here and then back and forth like this. It's it's nuts. Like it it now comes with every single one of a, a Democratic infight yeah. is all based on this. I mean, we're still they're still having fights over like Bernie bros versus Hillary it's people. So irrational. And, and like, uh, you know, Hillary got the black vote and Bernie just doesn't understand about this kind of stuff. And it's it's crazy. And I don't and it's to think that that is going to be like the product of that discourse is going to be the thing that's going to flip Wisconsin back in your direction or Michigan. I, look, it's, it's also nuts. I mean, it's it's nuts all, you also have I mean, they're talking about the Clinton bro, all this stuff. You also have a district that is so solidly Republican that that's why it was so aggressively targeted, that the psychological victory of, you know, overturning this solidly Republican and people say like, oh, well, you know, it was it was four points. So even that's a victory. Well, I mean, that's that's Donald Trump's victory there, too. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like I mean, everybody who had won that seat before is also also a very big difference between an incumbent, you know, running and some nobody coming out of nowhere. Uh, You know, it's I think it is the district in America which has the highest highest concentration of college educated Republicans, hmm. which in some ways maybe explains the fact that they weren't on the Trump train and it's all thrown in the same basket and all conflated. Like they, they, you know, won by 16 points and, and now they're winning by four. It's like, well, not really. I mean, it's, it's much more complicated than that. I mean, you've, you know, you know, Ossoff, Ossoff didn't run a campaign where he was hitting Trump particularly hard. I mean, you notice that the, the ads didn't go after Trump. It didn't talk about healthcare too much. And it wasn't like this whole narrative of like, there are these, you know, fissures which do exist, but this is how we judge them. There's a Bernie bro and there's a Hillary bro. And it's like, nah, there's also good candidates and bad candidates. And there's also a risky, expensive, like, you know, maybe they're just drinking their own Kool-Aid that, you know, Democrats have long believed that you can buy elections. You know, the Koch brothers can buy an election. George Soros can buy elections. Let's make it who it is. But so you can buy an election. And then maybe they're realizing right now that, you know, $40 million, $50 million, whatever, uh, versus what, what did she have? I can't remember how much it was. It was, it was, a, it was a, a small number compared to the amount of money that, uh, that the Democratic candidate was getting. So, I mean, maybe they're just sort of drunk on this idea that how could we have not bought that election? We spent so much money, you know? I just, and I, th- that there's a, a significant population in the Democratic Party, and you hear voices to this on, on MSNBC and elsewhere, who speak in the language of Evergreen State College students when they talk about white supremacy being like the uh, this intersectional thing that, that sits around us and among us. Um, I mean, I guess it's an interesting academic theory for those who are into that, and I, I, I'm not. Um, but like as a matter <laughs> of like practical politics, that – it's, I mean, people are making sport on Twitter, Moynihan, with, with your series of incredulous faces. Yeah. <laughs> Freeze frames. Don't which, debate. Incredulity will survive. Uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. like uh, a lot of post, uh, you know, election analysis has been kind of wrapped in, in this kind yeah. of like that. That's never going to play. That's never going to not sound crazy to a lot of people. And and it's uh, it's remarkable to me that uh, Democrats that that's that's just kind of where they're becoming, or at least a a, a chunk of them are becoming. And uh, and man, that's wow. I mean, yeah. you, ha- you have the pendulum is swinging your your direction by default because people are going to get sick of Trump and Trumpism and pendulum swing in a two party country. And yet people and they're cracking up. You can't find Look, candidates I mean, and you can't find a generic ballot. Trump is getting destroyed right now. 
I mean, the ge generic ballot, which of course means that, you know, a generic mm -hmm. Republican versus Democrat, I mean, the Republicans are getting, uh, you know, or Trump against a generic Democrat, is getting destroyed in these polls. I mean, but local issues are different, <laughs> right? I mean, the guy, I mean, the, the charge that you don't live in the district, yeah, that works. I mean, carpetbagger stuff doesn't work in the other direction. When Hillary Clinton comes up to New York, people don't care as much. But in Georgia, I think that probably works more than, more than anything else. But anyway, well, I we promise we wouldn't get off on that. But yeah, we well, did. no, and this is good. Uh, I think it actually has some connections to the, uh, at least from the way I see it, the Fernando Castillo uh, case, which, I mean, if, if we remember, this is back in July of 2016. Uh, it was actually a sequence of days in which you had his shooting death uh, involving the police and another uh, man, Alton Sterling, I believe in, in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. um, his uh, shooting death was, I think, the day after. Um, and it was two days in which you could not escape the the well-established, well, established, well um, broadly believed narrative that the black man are in unique danger of being killed by the police. I'm not going to get into that today. Let's set that aside for the moment. Um, in either case, this video emerges um, of a, a Facebook video that Castile's girlfriend starts to capture after her boyfriend has been shot and you can see her screaming, you can, you can hear her screaming and see her, but she points the ca camera at her boyfriend who was hunched over uh, in the car. And I mean, people had a visceral response to this. There was the sense among many people that this was just, this was obvious, open and shut, unarmed man driving his car, routine traffic stop, and is killed by a police officer, Minnesota police officer, uh, Geronimo uh, Yanez. Yeah. Um, I think it's Geronimo. Yeah, but yeah. I, I like <laughs> yeah. saying Geronimo. Yeah, because He's appropriating. You know, um, yeah. but uh, gentlemen, I don't. I don't know what your feelings are um, about this case. I, I do think there are a couple of things that are worth pointing out um, at the outset. That there was actually a, a, a case, a jury trial, not some sort of grand jury convened to figure right. out whether or not there should be uh, a hearing, and then you know, no charges ever materialize. There was, in fact, an, an actual jury sure. trial that took place here. That is a good thing. This should be adjudicated in a court of law when uh, an unarmed person is killed by a police officer. We should look no, into he was this. Armed. Well, well, unarmed in the sense. Well, you're you're right. He did have a firearm yeah, yeah. on him. That's the point. Um, he told which the is cop, which is interesting. And the yes. cop freaked yeah, yeah, about it's it. It's true. Yeah, and and his last dying words were, "I, I wasn't, I wasn't reaching, I wasn't for, reaching it. for it." And it's interesting. Um, and I set this up somewhat improperly. I, I'm sorry about that. But it's interesting. Part of the issue with this case, however, is that there were details that were not immediately available to the public, at least until after the case. After the case, we get uh, transcripts of interviews uh, from various people who were on the scene uh, the day the shooting happened, including the officer himself, um, some of which was not admissible during the trial because of uh, the prosecution's particular strategy that they chose to pursue. Um, but also we got the video. Uh, the dash cam video in which you can hear the exchange between the officer and Castillo. And you can also see the moment. And I mean, it transpired so fast. The first time I watched this thing, it's like 11 minutes long. I skipped to minute three to try to get to the beginning because initially you're in the car and it's moving. And it's by, by minute one, if you start watching there, you've missed it. Um, it's so fast mm. what happens here. Um, and look, there's an acquittal that happens. Um, there is a powerful, potent response. You get a lot of the response that you expect. Uh, Michael Eric Dyson, who uh, writes a piece uh, entitled 
Death in Black and White, uh, which opens, uh, we Black America are nationally nearly 40 million souls inside the nation of more than 320 million people. And I fear that it is clearer than ever that you, white America, will s- always struggle to understand us. Um, wait, 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 wait. First, first thing to point out. Uh-huh. Um, you can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways that there are sort of, when we're talking about phenotype, right? Uh-huh. We're talking about, um, you know, melanin. Uh-huh. You can, and you can't say that there's, you know, a Latino struggle and then say American black and white or shooting in black and white and hey, white America, uh-huh. because the police officer himself was Latino. Yeah. Right. So that maybe is a different thing. Well, I mean, there, I there are people that... who have addressed that as well, who uh, there's another p- article I saw uh, the, the passage in it is we cannot denounce him without also actively confronting Latinx anti-blackness. Oh, no. It must be undone. What's Latinx? Um, What's the uh, I, I didn't know that was a thing until accent? I, I read uh, that. It's Latino Kleenex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's various, various categories. Yeah, of, of Latinos and Hispanics. I, I, it's really hard. To, but but, but this it's really is, hard to keep up. I but it's, really but it's the but immediately the narrative is sort of placed into that familiar frame. Um, but I don't want to sort of stop there, and I, I want to get your your perspectives on this. I just want to make sure I was right about that. Because, yeah, yeah. And I followed it in a, in a way that you know the first thing first is that that if there is somebody in a situation like this who's you know uh, uh, like Philando Castile, who's a black man who was shot and killed, and he was not pointing a gun at anyone is that is there any time in the future in which we will look at something as bad policing rather than racist policing because uh, Philando Castile it's I think it's crazy it looks to me as crazy that that he's found that the officers found not guilty mm-hmm. because he declares the gun which I imagine he thought was the right thing to do it's, do not you're supposed you're to. supposed to do that I have a weapon and the police officer it happens fast but motherfucker you should be trained in your job that at the very very least there's a confusion because he says, I'm getting my license. I want my license. I want my insurance. And he's reaching for that. Don't, when somebody says you have a gun, I don't know what police procedure is. So I don't want to pretend that I do. But I would suspect the most logical thing would be put your hands, hands on, on the, the steering wheel. Steering wheel. Yeah. I'm going to open the door. I have my, I have my service uh, uh, weapon drawn. I'm going to open this door and I'm going to disarm you. Yeah. And then we're going to get your license. That is bad policing. Is it racist that he respond in a different way because he was black. I don't know. I mean, it's really hot to you. How do you, how does one judge those things? There's Rather a, there's than a, just saying that that is the reason. I mean, he's obviously Latino. I don't know if that means anything, but it's not a, you know, say, say this sort of, you know, adjudicating a, you know, a murder in black and white. I don't think that's fair. Michael Eric Tyson doesn't surprise me. He's not being fair. But at the same time is that this looks to me like in one way, a miscarriage of justice. I think that, that this seems crazy. He got, sh- he was shot and killed and the guy declared that he had a weapon. You're, if you are aggressive, mm-hmm. you're not declaring that I have a weapon, I have a license for it or whatever he's saying. And then pull out your gun and shoot the cop. That's the, not the, how the cop saying. absolutely panicked and there has to be yes, panic. David French has a pretty good piece in national review talking about I was just going to refer to that. Yeah. Um, saying that, look, we just need to, this, too often we defer to cops. If a cop feels scared, yeah. uh, juries are uh, empathetic with that. Yeah. Um, um, they'll If the cop feels like he or she is threatened, regardless of whether that's reasonable to, for them to have feel threatened, then juries will tend to defer to power and uh, yeah. to the authority because they're, you know, law, 
protecting us and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and that just happens way too often. But we're not creating a space for like, no, dude, you panicked. You did things wrong um, and you freaked. And he also the cop came up with a bunch of weird post facto stuff like uh, the next day, I think, in an interview, he said, well, the guy was smoking pot in front of his five year old. So, he, I mean, he would do anything. I mean, to me, um, which doesn't. Which yeah. means he'd be well, really slow on the draw. I well, mean, what is the thing that he would like? Like he just doesn't care or, for human life or something I mean, like that. Well, well so I, think I, th- that, I think you need to have there just needs to be a category of punishment for cops much broader than what we have. We have a natural over deference uh, to police. And we see it again and again. And I can understand that people get pissed off about it. I get pissed off. Is it not just for me to say that you shouldn't be a cop if you get scared when somebody declares they have a gun I, on them and they want to just I, tell you? I don't know. Um. I have not made up my mind about this particular case. Uh, I've watched the video and it's awful. It's terrible to, to like sit and watch the, the ending of someone's life. There are things about the, the interview testimony that he gave immediately after the shooting uh, in which he is suggesting that he didn't really see the gun and is imagining that the guy was doing something in his pocket, reaching for the gun. Um, and then in his testimony, he is declarative and absolute. I saw a gun in his lap. Um, interestingly, the, the jury was never permitted to hear this interview uh, evidence, for example, because of the way the prosecution chose to introduce it and the judge uh, disallowing it. These things happen in courts of law. Uh, juries also just reach bad decisions for any number of reasons. They may not like your tie that day. Um, but, you know, this is the justice system. Justice, Both those things apply to OJ. is kind of done. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, but, but. There are two things that I'm, I'm interested in highlighting here. I mean, one, you mentioned the, the French piece at National Review. I mean, there was another uh, – there were sort of dueling pieces uh, and perspectives on offer at National Review. There was another piece there um, which was entitled uh, A Tragedy and an Acquittal. Um, I believe that was by Robert, uh, is it Verbergen? I, I don't – Verbergen. Verbergen, yeah. I don't know Robert, um, but, mm-hmm. but Robert lays out um, a sort of respectful – thoughtful case in which he's deferential to his colleague and I suppose friend, perhaps, uh, David French. He may also hate him. Uh, Mm -hmm. Worth noting that David French is a guy who has had no shortage of critical words for the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, And he believes that this was a miscarriage of justice, a travesty. Um, uh, I believe, did he, what was the word he used? Oh, miscarriage of justice is precisely the phrase he used. Um, But he arrives at a slightly different perspective, um, essentially pointing out that for the jury who actually saw this video, um, you have like moments where the police officer repeatedly says, don't, but don't pull it out. Don't pull that gun out. There's even half a moment where it seems like he might be kind of reaching into the car with his free hand to like grab the guy's hand um, while he is pulling his sidearm out. And it transpires quickly. But, you know, is there is there a reasonable person who reaches the conclusion that maybe the cop shot for a justifiable reason or that he was re- had reason to fear for his life, which I believe is the, is the standard here. Um, I don't, I suppose I can imagine a jury reaching that conclusion, but there's something else here, which is for all of the talk about racism, uh, supposition about whether or not the cop was racist, even questions about uh, whether or not the cop was reckless I keep coming back to what do we do about stuff like this? Like, is there actually sufficient training 
for sort of the millisecond by millisecond thing that happens when armed agent of the state stops you and gives you for effectively conflicted. Yeah. Gives you conflicting uh, commands. First, you see it, you got your license and registration. Can I see it? You got a handgun. Oh, well, don't take it out. Don't, hey, don't take it. I'm not, is the response. I'm getting my license registration. As you asked, you're still moving, though. This is interpreted by the cop, and he, he shoots you. Can you train that out of someone? Yeah. Yeah, can absolutely. You, can absolutely. you really? I yeah. mean, you, you'll never have a 0% error rate. We have, a, we have 320 million-odd guns in this country. One out of every three households has a gun. We have concealed carry now. But why do uh, we need like, armed agents of the state stopping people for taillight violations or uh, that, any that, other that's, that's an excellent vehicular. question. That's but a I'm, very good question. Uh, and, and it's a it's a separate question. Uh, we have an armed country and we have uh, people who have been told this is how you're supposed to respond to the cop. The cop was did not either respond to training or was trained badly. He acted badly. He, yeah, he did bad police work and then shot a dude in like seven seconds. Uh, and it, it, yes, that can be avoided. It can be avoided by being a better policeman. Um, and it can be uh, I don't know if there's any procedure NRA approved procedure. And this is also an interesting thing. The NRA has been nowhere on this. Well, they're they, not entirely true. They they issued a statement kind of. Uh, uh, pretty tardy the first time around. And the, as far as when, know, the, when the incident first happened, yeah, essentially uh, saying that there was a, a lot going on there, I, but there has been someone from the NRA who has spoken out on this. So right. It, but not institutionally. Yeah. Which, uh, they normally uh, in, in, in other cases would, this is the kind of thing that they would talk about, but the NRA has a big deference to cops things too. Uh-huh. They love That's exactly right. the blue lives matter stuff. They, yeah. if you listen to an NRA president uh, talk, you just want to, uh, dunk your own head into a bucket until your legs twitch. It's uh, it's uh, it just on a cultural level. It's it's just awful uh, uh, from my uh, kind of anti-authoritarian head. Uh, and you know, NRA has a troubling history with only supporting gun regulations when it when it affects black people. Uh, uh, in uh, yeah, that 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 is a history that exists and that happened. Um, and if there's, I, I'm not saying that it doesn't ha- that it didn't happen. I'm happened I'm, in our in yeah. Our I'm lifetime. not saying that it so that it's it, not that, like that it, it's not like hasn't that. happened. I'm I'm not certain that's what's happening in this case. I'm not either, but yeah. it's a fact. Even and it's and it's it's okay well, to mention a fact. In I'm not saying that it's not okay to mention that fact, but in this particular in the concept in the context of this particular case, he's a martyr. He's a a hero. But well, that's just what NRA. I'm saying. I don't think, and I saw Jacob Sullum's post um, at Reason, actually, who suggested that the, that the NRA has been quiet on this, that the NRA hasn't taken this opportunity to use Castillo as a martyr. I wonder if policy, if our politics, if our interpretations of stuff like this should really be about finding martyrs. That's certainly the way that the Black Lives Matter movement has animated itself, for better or for worse. Um, I don't know that that actually gets us to good outcomes here. If the guy is, in, in this the particular guy is case, playing it by the NRA book uh-huh. and gets shot and killed, I don't know I want that more than a uh, press listen, release. Listen, like three hundred. I think what it underscores is one of the most loathsome instincts in politics, and you know, I see it with doing the story that we just talked about. The Evergreen thing is that to any normal people, this looks like madness. And they want to tell you that it looks like madness, but they're a little afraid of being on the same side of an issue that, you know, Tucker Carlson is on or something like that. And this is, I think, what is motivating the NRA here is that they see, you know, Black Lives Matter on one side and they want to run to the other. Yeah. Never, ever, ever indulge that instinct. Always indulge the instinct of what 
is the correct thing. I see this constantly in my life. Constantly people that will, will, will tell you in dulcet tones that like, you know, I tell you what, I am actually on your side on this, but I can't say so publicly because I think the people that are actually on this side are probably bad people. It's like, no, that's not, that doesn't cut it. That does not, is a coward's way out of, uh, uh, of an argument. And that's what I think is motivating the NRA in this is that number one is a deference to cops for sure is the blue lives matter thing. But it's also the converse of that is that they don't want to be, you know, marching in the streets or on the same side as, uh, as black lives matter. Well, I wonder I think, about, I that's a guess, but, but, that's a, but I think that's a, a pretty well-educated uh, guess uh, in general. Go ahead. Come on. Well, what about Colin Noir? This, this is uh, the, the NRA radio. Yeah, host yeah. Guy, yeah. A, he has a television show that he yeah. does or a web show that he does for them. He, he sells hats that say the pew pew life on them, like pew pew bullets. Yeah. Um, no, but Colin so like wrote, uh, <laughs> Colin wrote uh, what I thought was a really nuanced and thoughtful letter in response to this on Facebook. Uh, and I'll just read a portion of it that really stood out to me. Legally, I'm left asking myself, was Yenez failing to conduct a proper felony stop um, <clears throat> reckless or negligent enough to warrant a second degree manslaughter conviction? As a lawyer, I'm hard pressed to think so. But the young black male in me says, hell yes. Actually, I'm going to read that one more time just for, for the sake of the understanding and I'll edit it. Legally, I'm asking myself, was Yanez failing to conduct a proper felony stop reckless or negligent enough to warrant a second degree manslaughter conviction? As a lawyer, I'm hard pressed to think so. But, but, but the young black male in me says, hell yes. Admittedly, I don't have the facts the jury had. I didn't hear the testimony the jury heard. Maybe after hearing the testimony, they believe Yanez honestly felt his life was in danger and justifiably so. However, I have to be honest and say he shouldn't be able to just walk away free without legal consequences. I just don't know what the consequences should be. In my eyes, Yanez screwed up big time. I don't feel he was out to take a black life that day, but it doesn't matter because his actions cost Philando his life. My legal mind can see why they couldn't get the manslaughter second degree based solely on the fact at hand. But Yanez walking away from the case, a free man, a free and clear man is just wrong. Um, have have an intense appreciation for the appeal to like I wasn't in the room I don't know what the jury heard I'm not sure how they reached this particular decision I'm frustrated by the fact that there doesn't seem to be a recognition that there was in fact a jury trial and sometimes these things don't go the way that one would suspect they ought to for various reasons but that is a thing so taking well, this particular story, and a big one of those reasons is institutional deference to cops, which well, is that, a bad thing. That can that can be the case, but that is even, the case. Uh, that can be the case, but even there, I still return to like, what do you do to fix this? And I have to admit, like, I am, I am. There's two things here. One in your favor. Uh, Radley Balco apparently wrote something about uh, some of the crazy training programs that are taking place. One of which apparently this cop was involved in, uh, where they are in fact trained in a way that makes them more likely to shoot first, ask questions later, and perhaps avoid prosecution by having a grand jury ensure that theirs is never really thoroughly uh, vetted or at least uh, adjudicated in a court of law. That sucks. Um, the, he's not training all that just to shoot first part. Um, but I'm a little more skeptical than you are that you can actually do a great deal to train people to not respond in sometimes irrational ways in a situation that they perceive as dangerous. 
That's look. That's probably right, but I don't think this is the case to to to, to apply it to. I think that you know the one that was on sixty minutes uh, is a much more interesting one with the helicopter video. I think it was in Oklahoma. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, it looks like a bad dude. Yeah, He's that, walking that, away that from thing. her. And, that was, uh, yeah. and was Terrence like, Crutcher. Yeah, and yeah. he was a PCP. And there's all sorts of stuff. That was you know, and the reason it became a sixty minutes um, story, which they did actually a thirty minute piece on, which yeah. is rare, was because um, at first glance it looks pretty obvious, and then as you get into it, you see the complication. You see how the female officer in this case uh, responded, and you kind of have a certain measure of sympathy and saying, "Good God, that's a that's a tough one." Cars parked in the middle of a freeway or middle of a yeah, two lane yeah. highway, walking back, not not you know um, uh, obeying commands, going into the car, reaching in that way. Okay, but this one I, I find you know like look if if you're gonna be a cop, right? You you have to understand that this is a difficult and violent job, sometimes a violent job, depending on where you're working. Right. And you have to be ready for these situations. I understand if I I can't apply my own kind of you know mentality to that because I'm not a comp. Right. I'm not trained to be in a situation. I'm not prepared to be in a situation. If it was me and I had a gun and the guy's like, I got a gun and I had one too. And I was just a civilian. I'd be like, mm, fuck, you know, but this is a different power dynamic. In the second that guy says that. A whole bunch of switches in your head are supposed to start start going off, and the rotors are start should start turning, and you should make a rational decision. You should have your gun, hand on your gun. You should maybe even have it drawn. I don't know what the the actual policy is. I presume it was drawn, but um, obviously it was. But well, he he started he started to draw it. He started um, to draw it. Once, once okay, he have a gun, put his I have hand a gun on the too. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna. But it just seems to me that that it, you know this is a thing a job for a certain type of person. And it doesn't seem like this person was 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 out. Now, the bigger issue is, does it feed the narrative? Is it is it part of this narrative that is being sort of banged like a drum all the time mm-hmm. of that, you know, cops are just shooting, uh, you know, unarmed black men in the streets all the time? You know, we see this as a, as a this is a perfect media story in a lot of ways. It's very, very smart of you to point out that it's a jury trial. That actually means something else. It doesn't mean that there's an institutional thing in which, you know, they're lining up to get this guy off. It's a jury trial, right? But it reminded me of this case that we had talked about briefly via text today in um, Virginia, Mm -hmm. in which a uh, young Muslim girl, I think it was 15 or 16 or something, uh, headscarf coming from mosque, was uh, murdered uh, by a guy, I think it was an undocumented uh, immigrant, by the way. Um, So it was, I can't remember where he was from, but he... He didn't have papers, and he. It was a road rage incident, and before all of that stuff was actually, you know, divined from the police and from from you know local press reports and everything. Every person I know mm-hmm. on Twitter who's a journalist was tweeting about it. Everybody, basically, this is a, a, a horrifying uh, attack. Tragedy, murder, disgusting person. You should put a bullet in the nape of his neck and save us all the time. And this young girl seemed like this phenomenal, bright, interesting, you know, just not someone who's not in trouble. It was just some something that happened. Kids were doing something and the guy gets out of his car and then just brutalizes and murders her. Um, but why is, I mean, basically what I was thinking when I was thinking this is anytime someone who has a headscarf on, <clears throat> something bad happens to them. Will it be national news? Because we're looking for the narrative, we're, we're going to find out later if this is a hate crime, 
And that's that's where everyone's waiting for. There's no no evidence yet, or you know, prosecutors or local police didn't say that they had any evidence of hate crime yet. You know, they're just kind of waiting for this sort of thing. But is it now that anybody who is you know a minority group or a, a member of a group that is perceived or actually um, being set upon by the majority, that anything that bad ha- that happens to them, we're going to go national with the story until proven otherwise. I, th- I when I saw this, I was like, okay, so this was this girl stalked. I mean, the details she had just come from mosque, which I repeated because it was in all the stories. Why is that relevant? You yeah. know, I mean, I just came from church and and I got hit by a car and killed. I don't think that's going to be mentioned that about 45 minutes ago or an hour ago, I was at church. We're trying that, that to create. Be, that'd be man bites dog, though. More than <laughs> <in church. laughs> Yeah, yeah. I was at the Satanist convention. And, I, I, you know, it just seems to me that, you know, if you just look and I and I, I recommend listeners do this is of, of, of find this um, girl's name and do a Google News search. Because it was everywhere. And, you know, it is a horrendous tragedy. But it's not a tragedy that if this girl was an Episcopalian and the same thing happened, you'd ever hear about. And it it does not appear from any of the evidence that we have now that she was targeted because of her faith. It was because there was a road rage incident involving, I think, one of her friends. Um, there's been some shifting things in this, but there's, the cops are just saying, no, that's, that wasn't about that. But there were, I can't remember, 1,000 people, 500 yeah, people, they take 100 to the people. Ramparts they, and they went to DuPont yeah. Circle, and they had a big uh, a rally, a big thing, a vigil. A vigil, and they left some things. And, and uh, this morning, one of the things was burnt, by the way. And I, we never know who does these things. And then that was a huge spate of news after. But 100 people weren't showing up because she was murdered. Um, that'd be a lot of hundred people vigils every day in Washington, DC. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred people were showing up because there was a presumption because we have trained ourselves to think we're living in this Islamophobic nightmare where people are attacked. It does happen. Of course. Does it happen in a way in proportion to the population that is a crisis? Uh, I don't believe so. I mean, I could be wrong about this and people could dis- disabuse me of this. Um, there was in fact, a guy from Cardiff who drove a, uh, a car and killed somebody and a sort of revenge, quote-unquote, revenge attack at the Finsbury Park Mosque mm-hmm. in London. So these people do exist. Right. And then a guy, there was a guy yelling Allahu Akbar today in Michigan who stabbed uh, a cop at an airport in Flint in the neck. There was a um, failed suicide bomber who was shot and killed uh, yesterday in Belgium. A couple days ago, there was one in Paris, another failed uh, uh, martyrdom or jihadist that was shot uh, by the police. I heard a... Uh, an, so uh, this stuff happens. It's out there. I mean, one seems more like a crisis than the other, but I, the point being, to, to wrap it up, is that the point being is that uh, that instinct to see a woman in a headscarf who was brutalized and murdered in the most foul and awful way, um, the fact that everyone is propagating this story nationwide and every Twitter account that I saw had it, it was like, guys, just calm down even if this turns out not to be a hate crime which from all the evidence that we have now it suggests that it wasn't is that you are furthering the narrative that lodges in the brain of people remember the girl in the head i mean look there was that a guy that killed the people in north carolina execution style that lived next door mm-hmm. and there was a family it was muslim you know there is a time when you can get in a fight with somebody who happens to be a muslim and kill them for other reasons and that seemed to be the case there. And that was a nationwide thing, a New Yorker article, et cetera. And I think we're way too eager to jump on that we, especially because we have this horrendous president now, that we want to always, 
always fuel the narrative. It's very frustrating. I mean, it's it's the it's the perpetual search for or the perpetual uh, drive to to confirm the narratives that we already believe, the things that we believe are true, and find evidence to support them, um, to to attribute motivations <laughs> to people who do bad things. And I I, I grant the point uh, that you were making about the Castile uh, sh- uh, shooting, Matt, that. Oftentimes, citizens are far too deferential to law enforcement. I think that is totally true. Um, I don't. I think we should talk about it. I think we should try to persuade people that this shouldn't be a thing. That there shouldn't be two standards. Uh, and whatever the complex complexities of the job, absolutely, Moynihan, that we should be doing a better job of training. Uh, per Radley's article and and per the various things that we've talked about here, um, it still seems to me that. Ultimately, and perhaps we shouldn't talk about this as much because it's just not practical, Um, but that pointing out the rather obvious point that there are ways that we could modify our approach to policing and perhaps just to traffic (laughs) and the way that we we manage the movement of cars on the road um, and getting rid of this ability for police to make these stops on the basis of your taillight being out in order to find out whether or not you happen to be involved in that burglary because you kind of sort of fit the description of a guy who has dark skin and dreadlocks. Yeah. It reminds me, and you know, people always get mad for some reason at libertarians when they point this out, like in the, in the Eric, in the wake of the Eric Garner thing, I saw people furious uh-huh. that, uh, you know, Rand Paul or other people said, why do you have a cop task force enforcing Lucy's? Mm. sales right and they're like oh, you know you're just you're just trying to i don't know why people get so upset it's like, a you're, different narrative you're failing to see the the it's systemic racism or yeah, i yeah. don't know what it is yeah but uh but it's still the right argument as is in the wake of uh discussions of gun violence and and many other things the single thing that you could do that would have more of an impact on gun violence in this country than any other policy that i could think of is to end it and the drug war right that's actually true. Yeah, yeah. That's just true. No, I make that so observation like wake, all the time. Sound like a broken record. You wake up in the morning and you're pissed off that, I mean, people responded to the congressional baseball shooting. Like, you know, we need to do something about guns. You're pissed off about gun violence. That should be, you, all your mind can be bent on that because that's actually achievable in our lifetime. It's mm. probably going to happen in our lifetime. You but, are an optimist, sir. Well, I mean, if it's in states, I hope you're right. Look, and, and the thing is, is that if this, if the drug war has created a universe of criminals, of people that wouldn't have been criminals otherwise. That's an, an argument I often hear. People say, well, you know, they're crooks and they're just going to go on and do something else. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's try it. Because, you know, we got nothing else to lose at this point. I mean, I find that like a flimsy and flabby argument. Academics make it too, saying that, oh, look, I mean, you're just shifting one trade to another. They'll right. find no, something totally. else. Yeah. Okay, let's see if that happens. And if we shake out 10%, that's 10% better than when we started. I don't know why this is such a, was such a prevalent argument. It's like, let's, let's do it tomorrow and then see if over a series of, I mean, I just saw recently Glenn Greenwald wrote a thing for Cato, which a, a while ago, Portugal's uh, experiment with yeah, drug legalization, eight, eight mm-hmm. maybe eight years ago. Yeah. And there's, I saw something the other day of, of, of I didn't read it, so I'll have to find it and, and look it up, but it was something to the effect of, you know, uh, Portugal's experiment with drug legalization is not what everyone said it was. 
Um, okay, but yeah, like let's let's look at it eight years down the line then, or ten years down the line. Let's give it a try. Otherwise, we can sit and you know wank and and have like write white papers and have uh, conferences and beautiful uh, uh, hotels in D.C. And not the, not the interesting. Other thing, the other thing that we can do um, to kind of your to semi uh, address your question, Camille, is. Um, the grand jury element of it, when grand juries are convened uh-huh. as they were in, I believe, Ferguson. I'm getting yeah, all these right. things uh, mixed up. Um, that The grand jury process has been totally inverted from its original form. It was supposed to be a way for citizens to make sure the prosecutors aren't running amok. Right. Now it's an engine for prosecutors to run amok over citizens in the name of absolving police. Well, you can change that. Yeah. You can fix that legislatively, and, and you should. There should be an, uh, a strong focus on that. You can also fix um, – uh, uh, prosecutorial uh, immunity, whereby shitty prosecutors who lie and cheat are actually uh, are able to get away with it because they're prosecutors. Well, that's those are laws, and you can you can change those laws, and you can also begin punishing cops for lying on the witness stand, which is something that happens with some regularity. There are things that you can do to change behavior, as in dash cams too. I mean, they didn't change the outcome in this case. Um, it certainly changed the awareness of it, uh, which hopefully will lead to other things happening, not least of which is having more dash cams and police uh, cams. It's not going to fix everything at once, but these are bit by bit ways to make things better um, in ways that it's, I think you've got to go after power uh, and you can talk about race if that's what you want to do. But too often the discussion about race, and we've mentioned this a few times mm-hmm, here, mm-hmm. Uh, gets us away from what we can actually fix with power. Yeah. And, and, Talk about race if you want. So generous, I think. Um, maybe. I don't know. Um, well, uh, Matt, you have to run out of here for a, a media appearance. Uh, uh, because you have to run now? Double booked yourself. Yeah. 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 Let, let's, let's talk auto. Just because yeah. it, it actually dovetails nicely. Because weirdly, a story... Um, that has become about race. It's auto, auto, auto warm beer. Yes, auto yeah. warm beer. The the yeah. American uh, student who is hell did this come? Uh, it's so it's a, heck of a, well, heck of it's, well, this is this is interesting. And yeah. I mean, th- what's important here is that when the story first broke last year, mm. um, it made the rounds on you know the comedy circuit at least with Larry Wilmore making some jokes about this. Um, it, it's hard to resist uh, making jokes about a name like warm beer. Which is kind of funny. It's a mm. comical name. Um, but a lot of the derision that was aimed at Otto was effectively, well, not just, well, you went to North Korea. That was stupid. Bad things happened there. Um, but more so, your white privilege doesn't extend to other countries. Uh, hey, how is it to discover that when you go to other places and you do illegal things, um, you can sometimes get in trouble for them and your whiteness won't protect you? Um, those jokes, they were the And they weren't jokes. Those jokes and those serious thought serious pieces. Thought quote, pieces. Un, again, using the word serious, generous, serious in the sense that they meant it. Um, thought pieces that were written for the likes of, I believe, Slate and HuffPo, um, which... HuffPo, anyone can write uh, There anything. was one uh, the other day of some website that was like 50, 60,000 followers that I'd, I'd never heard of. And Ebony uh, published that one in 2000. You gone learn today, G-O-N apostrophe. You gone learn today on the revocation of white privilege in North Korea under a picture of, of auto warm beer. There's a couple of things that that deserve to be, to be said here. Everyone, this fucking pisses me off more than anything. John McCain said the other day that auto warm beer was murdered by the North Koreans. Every headline that I've seen have collected them have murdered in quotation marks. They're quoting him. They're, they're, we're not saying that he did. 
Otto Warmbier was murdered by North Koreans. That's indisputable fact. He didn't, you know, get a bug when he was in North Korea. According to the doctors, uh, this happens in very specific circumstances, and he was a healthy kid otherwise. And he's also been detained in North Korea. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We don't want to forget this. 15 years. Was 15 the, years. The and and so here is the problem with it. What everyone's talking about, this drives me goddamn nuts, is that everyone's at 15 years. Well, you know, it's a little uh, excessive for what he did. Are you kidding? What did he do? This is the thing that everyone's missing. This is well, his white privilege. He was going to go there, get drunk, be a frat boy. He's been been stereotyped as a frat boy, which the guy that was his roommate. It's a very good piece in The Washington Post that uh, Josh Rogan talked to the guy that was his roommate and who said, by the way, British guy who's roommate on the trip for two weeks um, or a week and a half um, said to him uh, uh, the 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 American authorities, the CIA, the president, no one ever contacted him. No one. The tour company, nobody. Nobody asked him. And you know what he said to, to the first thing that popped in my mind when this kid was arrested? He's the American on the trip, right? He's a bargaining chip. You get Lisa Ling, you get something for it, right? You go to try to get, and by the way, the white fucking privilege, there's three other Americans that are in, in, in North Korean prisons right now, all of whom are Korean. They're Korean Americans. Mm. Their Korean privilege didn't work either. Whatever the hell that means, it's a reflex. It's not an argument. It's it, it, You can put white privilege into anything and make some bullshit argument and get published because you don't have to think. You have to know a phrase. But the thing that really, really burns me about this is when uh, uh, his, what happens in North Korea, by the way, and I had a bunch of friends that were there recently, and it's only when you're airborne do you know that you haven't been arrested. They do not arrest you in country. They arrest you when you get to the airport. Every time, they usually pull you off a plane. So until you get up in the air, everyone is terrified. Otto Warmbier was detained at the, at the end of the trip. So he was detained at the end of the trip, and he was pulled out of line when they were at the airport in Pyongyang. So what his his roommate said, and which no one, of course, thinks of, I don't know why they don't think this is basic journalism. Otto Warmbier got a 15-year sentence for doing something stupid, for being an asshole, for being a frat boy, for realizing his privilege. What did he do? Well, he stole a propaganda poster. I saw one today, an equally asinine thing about his white privilege. He stole a flag. It's become a flag now. There is no evidence that he did anything at all. We are taking the word of the North Korean government. The Mm -hmm. only person that was with him at that time was Otto Warmbier. His roommate said he'd never had a poster with him. He never talked about a poster. He was a very quiet, very reserved guy. It was a heavy drinking trip. He wasn't one of those people. And he was just like a nice kid. The entire time, he never said anything about a poster. Wow. Nothing. So we are doing all of this and all these fucking sizzling hot takes are based on what the North Koreans have said when they got a bargaining chip whom they probably beat to death or they probably tortured to death or gave him drugs and stopped his organs. God knows what they did. They're a monstrous regime full of monstrous people and it's the biggest open air prison on the planet. Yet, all of these people who are jerking off in their hot takes about white privilege are doing this based on an account from the filthy North Korean criminal family that runs it of the Kim regime. They are trusting them on this. There is no evidence that Otto Warmbier did anything wrong. So when you say you shouldn't have been stupid, shouldn't have gone to North Korea, a lot of people go to North Korea. You should be able to travel to North Korea and not get picked up and be pulled away as a bargaining chip. Should you be aware of that? Yeah, you should. Is but there, you know what? He's 21 years old and he was in China and it was the adventure of a lifetime to go to the closed state of North Korea. Thousands and thousands of people. I know two dozen, if not more people who have done the same trip. 
And why was he pulled off? You're looking for rationality and logic in the diseased minds of the Juche philosophy of the North Korean regime. There might have been a good time right then to get a bargaining chip. Dennis Rodman goes over. The guy comes home. Um, we don't know what happened. We don't know what how Otto Warmbier was murdered by the North Korean regime, but he was murdered by the North Korean regime. And it is profanity to say in these stupid hot takes of these people sitting in Manhattan, sitting in San Francisco, sitting behind their computers, getting paid way too much for whatever stupidities they're producing every day to say that, oh, he thought he was going to be privileged. Do you know this kid, motherfucker? No, you don't. How do you know that he had privilege? How do you know that he was a frat boy? How do you know that he stole a poster? You don't. And you're going to write this shit? No, 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 You're going to put McCain's murder in quotes? You should maybe make sure to say in every piece that the only crime that we think that he committed, no one saw, and we were told by the North Koreans. Yeah, they, they did release a, a grainy video, um, and I, I suppose he uh, he comped to it on, on video as well, but to the uh, I mean, in a show they, trial. Yes, yeah, exactly. As did John McCain yeah. to the North Koreans. No, precisely yes. right. Well, this... It's worth noting, not that it is any defense, that many of the the awful sentiments that were written uh, were written when he was first captured mm-hmm. um, and had just been convicted and given 15 years. In a one-hour trial. In a one-hour trial. Oh, my God. This is a defense. Um, no, no. I'm just – I'm saying that they at least didn't write it when he was coming back to the country in a coma. Yeah. Or – immediately after his death and most of those pieces have disappeared from the interwebs uh but the fact remains that it should have never been written can you imagine w- what the reaction <laughs> yeah. would be to midnight express oh god nowadays no. i mean why do you camille's wrinkling his face like what is midnight express yeah is that a, watch is that it's a good drug? movie uh it's a, 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 weirdly enough every single time i go to greece that's what's playing it's weird how like a <laughs> movie about a turkish prison yeah yeah uh weird. brutality uh here but it's a white american named uh billy hayes mm-hmm. uh who went uh, and he was totally like uh, the smuggling hash, I think, yeah. uh, there. And he was caught and he was brutalized in a Turkish prison because that's what happens in Turkey, Turkish prisons. In prisons. Yeah. 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 Uh, and uh, and so it's a story about it. And he eventually escapes and all, all kinds of things happen. But like it would be about his white privilege. It would be like, oh, what do you expect? You jo- know? Josh Rogan, who wrote that story, tweeted, uh, Otto Warmbier was an innocent kid tortured by an evil regime. Read my interview with his North Korean roommate. Mm. To which Affinity Magazine, which is apparently uh, uh, written by young people, has 50,000, 60,000 followers when a blue check mark responded watch whiteness work he wasn't a quote kid or quote innocent you can't go to another country and try to steal from them respect their laws now imagine if we did that respect and, their laws and, yeah, I had, there hasn't been that, a country that i've gone to where i haven't fucking broken the law <laughs> oh, and especially if it's a <laughs> totally young, young people traveling yeah. jesus yeah. christ yeah, yeah respect, respect, didn't respect break the, the law. law in fucking cuba of course i broke the law imagine, in cuba imagine she said that and else. she should say that about 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 michael brown and could michael she, brown stealing say, something from 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 a uh you Canadian know bodega stuff. and then saying you know you can't he he wasn't a kid he wasn't innocent you can, you can't, uh, you know, you can't steal from it, respect the law. Imagine if you applied that the other direction. It's, but the first, that first three word sentence, watch whiteness work shows the absolute intellectual bankruptcy of these fucking morons. I'm sorry, but this m- gets me more irritated than anything else. That doesn't mean anything. 
Watch whiteness work does not mean anything. That is an instinct that people have. That is now a reflex instead of an argument. We have replaced argument with phraseology. This phrases of like whiteness, white tears. All what, what are some of the other ones? Give me some of the other ones, Camille. I hear them all the time. I mean, it, race racism is is the ultimate one. But it, it's interesting to the extent these, these things the have, have entered into the lexicon and they have obtained more common use amongst lay people but a lexicon they, is, is 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 a dictionary more or less they're not this is not like sure this I, is this isn't a lexicon uh, issue anymore this is now argument is being replaced by rote phrases well it is but but what i'm, what I'm getting at is that, what is the that fuck the, does that mean the phrases have been robbed uh, of any sort of meaning yeah. like it's not clear what people mean when they refer to racism or white supremacy in most cases it is some sort of generic force that is just malevolently hanging over everything. And it is an accusation can, that can be hurled at anything that you don't like. And that's the thing with the, the, the evergreen president. There's a bit of that exchange. We had to shorten it when he's, he says, well, what does white supremacy mean to you? To which I responded, like, Nazism. I mean, it's what you believe. It's, the, words are precise, and they're precise for a reason. It's that I believe in the genetic, usually genetic, or cultural, supremacy of a race over another race. Wait, you're saying you, you personally believe in that? Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't say fuck you because you're black. I just said fuck you because you're an asshole. Um, <laughs> Jesus, <it's> Caribbean. <laughs> yeah, but... but uh, but when you when you when he says that and he starts dissembling and starts like, well, what does it mean? I'm not going to say no. And I'm like, why won't you just say no? It's because these words and these phrases mean something very specific. But now we fling them so much that I had the president of Evergreen College on his back heels in a very simple question in which anybody with a half a brain on the head would say no. <laughs> okay. okay. That's a really good. Okay. But that's not yeah. what he's he then it's so confused language these days that he starts talking about white privilege, uh, where white supremacy is something different. He's like, I'll cop to it all. Just, whatever. I, 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 whatever. Yeah. I don't want to be accused of anything. The, the, you guys are flinging charges around. Auto warm beer, watch whiteness work. A guy that was brutally murdered, his life ended at 21 years old. His parents have to, have to take a vegetative a kid in a vegetative state who's been murdered by Stalinists and then has to have to see this fucking shit. Unbelievable. Matt, I know we got to run out of here quickly, but the president uh, apparently is interested or perhaps there are just rumblings at this point. I haven't even seen the reports. I've just saw um, our friend a Andrew Schultz um, talking about travel bans to North Korea. Like, why haven't we done something about preventing people from going to, to North Korea? It reminded me um, also of new restrictions that are similar to old restrictions that are being instituted in Cuba. Um, I'm interested in your perspective on the warm beer thing as well. But as we're sort of punching out of here, the the way in which we try to deal with rogue regimes with whom we have disagreements, both in terms of sanctions and in terms of travel bans, um, I, for one, don't really understand how it's useful for us to prevent Americans from going to these places. Um, but perhaps there's some rationale there. Um, is is there a rationale that's defensible? The only defensible? rationale that, that I accept as being uh, part of any kind of argument that I'm interested in hearing is you you think about banning travel to countries with which you're at a war, right? That's, that's <laughs> and, the, you know, Chuck Lane uh, from the Washington Post uh, retorted to me when I mentioned that on Twitter, like, well, we – Still haven't completely. We are stopped. at war. We're at war with, yeah. with uh, North Korea. Technically, the technically. South is is at war with the North. But yeah. so maybe an uh, armistice. Yeah. 
It's an armistice, but, yeah. but as a practical matter, we're not fighting a war uh, with them right now. Uh, I, you know, if there's there's problems with uh, uh, especially European countries with battlefields in Syria and and elsewhere and people coming uh, uh, back and forth from there. And I think it's a real issue. You got to got to look at that. But no, uh, uh, blocking Americans from traveling to Cuba, from traveling to Iran, to North Korea uh, is is stupid. It's just like looking for a big sledgehammer with, with which you can do things. Sanctions. Uh, the literature on this is pretty clear. About the only place that it's really, really worked is in South Africa during apartheid. Um, there's a whole lot of factors. You have to get the entire world to agree with you. The sanctions against Cuba have been among the least uh, uh, effective because the whole world disagrees with us over the time. But the interesting thing about the Trump move in uh, it, uh, that he mentioned in Little Havana on, on Friday, he didn't change that much. He didn't change. He changed the tone. Mm -hmm. The tone was to talk about Asada Shakur or whatever, Joanne Chesimir. Uh, the tone was to talk about we're we are going to uh, champion freedom in our hemisphere, which he reiterated a couple of times. Very Monroe doctriney. Uh, the tone was saying we're we're not going to stop sanctions until uh, there's free elections and the prisons are empty and you can have political competition. All of which I like that tone, by yeah, the way. I mean, I fine. I don't like the sanctions and that kind of stuff, but I like name checking all that stuff because it's right and it's true. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the travel thing that he changed, he just reimposed it to uh, Moynihan and me, not even us because we can go as journalists, but um, but to common Americans who don't have Cuban-American lineage. Mm -hmm. But uh, Cuban-Americans could still come and go as they please. They could still send remittances at huge amounts. So he didn't change any of that. We still have diplomatic relations back and forth. The prisoner swap that started all this still is in existence. So it's this weird, um, you know, he, Trump trumpeted this as like, we have completely changed our policy, completely repudiated Obama's policies. The Heritage Foundation tweeted that out. It's not true at all. Um, changed a little bit and in a bad way, as far as I'm concerned. You're not going to create more freedom there or anywhere by limiting Americans' freedom. It just doesn't make any sense mm. uh, intuitively and practically speaking. Uh, we can talk about it if we're actually at, at war with a country, but we're really not in North Korea or Cuba. And I think it's just a bad idea. Yeah. And I would say the only thing I will add to that is that um, the embargo has been effective in one sense. It has, in, it, it has emboldened the Cuban regime and taken all the onus off of their destructive economic policies and given them an excuse that every time you have a drink uh, somewhere in Europe and you start talking to somebody about Cuba, it comes up. It's not just Grandma, the official yeah. newspaper of the party. It's not just state television. It's not just Cuba. It's everywhere you go. That has been a very effective argument to say, well, you know, the reason it's so garbage there economically is because of the embargo when Cuba trades with every other country in the world and has, you know, tourists from all over South America, Central America, Canada, Europe, et cetera. And, you know, there's still not a Starbucks on every corner, by the way, which is always the threat, the, this looming threat, because there are coffee chains in, in, in Europe, you know, there are coffee chains in South America, and you can put those uh, chains in Cuba, but why can't you? Because the government uh, is ultimately what, you know, they decide everything. It's, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos just can't show up in Havana and say, oh, capitalism's here. No, no, no. And you don't pay Cuban workers, incidentally. You pay the government, and the government disperses that money to Cuban workers. But a, a way that you so, can uh, pay uh, Cuban entrepreneurs is by going and using Airbnb. They have private property rights right. there now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so these exchanges- Limited private property rights. Limited, yes, for yeah. sure. But uh, but these exchanges with tourists mm -hmm. that go down, the American tourists- yeah, are, positive thing. Are very positive for those people, and that it, it decreases their dependence on the government, and that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can we punch out of here? Got a punch. All right. Got a punch. Cool. Well, uh, 
I feel like I learned something today. Um, I hope you learned something as well. Uh, thank you for hanging out with us, Matt. I Michael. learned something about you. Ottawa almost forgot my Dan name. Beer. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Thank Dan, you all Dan for Beer. for assisting in various ways. Dan helping in the in the background, not here, but here in spirit. Um, and uh, thanks to you, dear listener. Uh, we'll uh, we'll be back soon enough. Bye. 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 We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse.